But look at verse number 16 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and then we'll flip over to chapter number 11. The Bible says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And go over to chapter 11, verse number 23. We were there a couple weeks ago. It says, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup which he had supped, saying, the, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that drinketh, or he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you again for tonight. We're thankful, Lord, that you were, we were reminded, Lord, through the song, Lord, that, Lord, you are more than enough for us. Lord, you love us. You take care of us. Our needs are not beyond your ability to meet, Lord. And we just thank you for that tonight. Lord, I ask you tonight that you have me behind the cross of Calvary. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help me, Lord, to teach and preach the word of God with authority tonight, Lord. And just, Lord, with sincere desire in my heart, Lord, to help those understand and help our church to, Lord, just simply understand, God, how wonderful and how blessed it is, Lord, to have an ordinance that we call the Lord's Supper. God, that we're able to on purpose, Lord, remember, God, and, and dwell upon that which you did for us on the cross of Calvary, Lord, the great depth and, Lord, the great pain, Lord, the great sorrow that you felt, Lord, so that we would never have to feel that. Lord, you being willing to be separated up from the Father, God, so that we could have the promise that we would never be separated, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, you just help us from the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for your precious book. We thank you, Lord, that it is... God, the final authority around here, Lord. We're thankful, Lord, it's always right, it's always on time, and it's always what we need. Lord, we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now tonight, there's some things about the Lord's Supper that we, we know and I don't think we would disagree with or have altering ideas or viewpoints. One, we know that's outlined in the Bible, it's clearly given to us. We've seen it in the Gospels. We see it here in the New Testament. It's also given to an ordinance to the church. The church is to be the ones that participate in it and the ones that carry it out. It's to be observed and conducted by the church. Not only was it given to us, but we are to carry it out, just like the ordinance of baptism. It's not just something good to talk about, but it's something that every believer should do. They should be baptized. It is to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, I don't think anybody would argue those things tonight or anybody with a, with a desire to understand the word of God and desire to please the Lord would step back and argue those things tonight. And we live in the 21st century. We live in 2023. Somebody's going to argue something, right? But we know that those that we, we come together, we have a like mind, a like spirit, and we are desiring a like mind and a like faith. We would agree with those things. They're clear cut there. They're, they're, they, are, they are clearly expressed to us in the scripture. But there are some issues concerning the Lord's Supper tonight uh, that, that uh, people have differing stances on, not just from denomination to denomination, but within Baptist churches and the Baptist realm, uh, that there are differing stances and positions. And here's why. 
Why is it this way, preacher? It's because these issues that we're going to deal with tonight, the differences really don't come from an expressed chapter in verse per se, but rather a principle that is derived from the word of God. And, and so that's what he's trying to say, preacher. I'm trying to say there's the issues we're going to deal with tonight. There are, there are no thou shalt nots, right? Or thou shall exactly like this. And if that were to be the case, and then we would know this is exactly how it's supposed to be done, exactly where it's supposed to be, when all those kind of things. Now, we understand as we read 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, there are some things, there are in a certain atmosphere, and a certain attitude that ought to be present when we partake of the Lord's Supper. But there are some things that the Bible doesn't expressly say uh, about the, the, I don't want to say the mechanics, but the, the workings of the Lord's Supper and, and, and the, the idea concerning the Lord's Supper, that they're not expressly stated there. And so I think a lot of that, and, and one man will say, well, here's what I derived from the principle, and here's what I derived from the principle, how, how it should be done and how it should can be conducted. And, and they don't necessarily agree with, they're not against each other, but they don't agree with each other. And there's not just concerning the Lord's Supper, there are certain subjects that you and I live and we face that the Bible gives us a principle or an idea to guide us, but there is no, no we're talking to the measurement or to the, the exact point on how it's supposed to be carried out. A great example of this is found previously in chapter number 11. Look at verse, uh, verse number 14 of chapter number 11. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for her covering. Now, the subject there is long hair, but let me ask you, what is the length of long hair? The Bible doesn't say the length of long hair is four inches. Three and a half inches. If, you have, if your hair is longer than three and a half inches, then you have long hair. But the Bible does say concerning the appearance of a man and the appearance of a woman that there is, there is a, a, an idea, there is this, this, that nature itself teaches us that a man shall not have long hair and that a, a woman should. It's the glory for her and for a man. It's a shame unto him if, he's, if he has long hair. But the Bible doesn't say, well, according, if it's a man, if his hair is longer than five inches, then it is too long. Right? There's, there's no outline there. There's, there's no given uh, measurement there. And, and let me ask you, when it comes to a lady, what is long enough? Right? We could go back and forth. And now some people will say, well, I believe it's this and I believe it's that. And, and you can believe that. But to say this is exactly what the Word of God says when there is no express measurement given there, then it's hard to take that stance. Or, or you know, someone may see it differently and very well for, for them. Well, preacher, what do you think about that? Well, what is, what is your principle? What, are, what do you derive from there on a personal level tonight? I'm speaking from a personal stance tonight. I, I think when you look at a man, they ought to look like a man. In essence, you ought not to be confused at what you're looking at. Uh, there's been times where I've been in the store where I'm trying to get from one place to the next and I say, excuse me, man, simply based on the length of hair. Just to find out, it wasn't a ma'am. It was a man, right? And I think a man ought to look the same comes when it comes to a lady. We live in a generation, we live in a society that is trying to mingle those two together, that there is no difference between man and woman, right? That we're all the same. We are, we are, we're just different in different ways, but really we're all the same. No, God made man and woman different. 
And I think when you, ought, when you look at a lady, you ought to step back and just by looking at their appearance saying, all right, that is a lady, right? They, they, there's something about their, their demeanor, their, their uh, I don't want to say makeup just because you're going to say, what well, you're talking about just their makeup, but their, their composure, their, the, the way they present themselves, that's a lady and that's a man. We ought to do those things tonight. But like I said, I can't tell you, well, according to the Bible, a lady's hair must be at least six inches long. I have no scriptural proof for that. All I've got is the principle given here. And there's certain things when it comes to the word of God and when it comes to uh, the Lord's Supper, there is no express statement there. And it's interesting to me, the things that we would all wholeheartedly agree on are clearly expressed in the scripture. But the difference is that a lot of people argue about, and <laughs> as I grow in my Christian life, I, I found out there's a lot more controversy between people than I realized. I thought, you know, that naive green behind the ear, and everybody just believed the same in the sense, and everybody got along, and there wasn't great disagreements. Uh, it wasn't until, I mean, we had already been using the hymn books that we used. I didn't know there was a controversy with them. Found that out after we had them all. Preach, what are we going to do? We're going to keep using them. Because oh, that's really not, that's not the hill I'm going to die on. Right, and there's different, different things, you know, that some people won't allow a missionary to set up in this side of the sanctuary. They don't believe in that. They don't think it's Right? Right, but there's no scriptural evidence. So they'll tell you, well, Jesus flipped over the table, and he did, but those people were wicked, and those people were, and it's a whole different thing. In essence, tonight, we're going to look at some things that are great issues amongst some people, but the interesting thing is, they are issues that are derived from principles and not just exactly verse upon verse. And so if we look at verse number 16 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we do see what is not permitted. Look at verse number 16. But if any seem to be contentious, Right? We have no such custom, neither the churches of God. In essence, tonight, these differences, they are different, they're allowed, and they're not to be a source of contention. Right? God said, we don't, Paul said, we don't have a custom for that. Right? In essence, we don't have a custom for me and you going around and pointing everybody else's flaws out because they're not just like us. Or, or they don't do exactly like we do. Can I say if churches did everything exactly the same, it'd be boring. Can I say, when I went to church in Albania, it was different from how we go to church here, but it was good. It was, it was, it was different, the, the languages that they spoke. In the, and, and Now, some of you might think we need an interpreter to help me out, to help you put it, my English into your English. But it was different to hear a man speaking English than someone in, to speak it into Albania. It was different, but it was good. And it was right, and the difference there is what made it wonderful. And so we look at verse number 16, and our, our desire of this study is not for me to step back and say, our church is right about the Lord's Supper, and your church is wrong. Right? But rather, here's, what we, here's where we stand as a church. Here's what we believe, and here's what, what, what we're going to hold to, and here's, here's why. So notice number one tonight, we're going to look at issues concerning the objects of the Lord's Supper, the objects of the Lord's Supper, verses 24 and 25. We are given two objects, the bread and the cup, right? It's pretty clear you need two things to have the Lord's Supper, a piece of bread and a cup filled with liquid, right? We, we see that here tonight, but what kind of bread and what kind of liquid? There's differences come in and people believe different things. Well, concerning the bread, I, 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 now my upbringing and my, my background of growing up in the Catholic church, I'd never heard of anybody doing this before. But there's some churches where they, they, they specifically say, all right, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and certain families and certain people within the church bake the bread for the Lord's Supper. And then they meet together, and they break up all, a piece of bread here and a piece of bread there, and they, they break all that out, and they pass it out that way. And they bring in a loaf of bread. 
Now, I'm not going to say, well, those are terrible Christians and they're, they're all probably going to hell. That's not what I'm going to say tonight. But I think when, you've got to realize this is a, not only is it a thing of memorial, but it's also a picture of symbolism. Right? And when you add in leaven to bread, when you go study your Bible, you'll find out leaven's always a picture of sin. And so, to bring in a loaf of bread that has been leavened, it has, it rises, right? And, and can I say, I love homemade bread. I love it. It smells good, tastes good, looks good, feels good. All of those things. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we're not just having bread. right? We are symbolizing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And he had no sin. He was perfect. And right, we read about it in, in the, the Gospels as well as it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so I think when a church participates and observes the Lord's Supper, the bread that is used to be, is to be unleavened. That way, when that is taught and is presented, we are reminded that Jesus, who was perfect, died for you and I, who was not. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And he died in our place. And so we, uh, I think a Christian ought to, or a church ought to use unleavened bread. It's, it's what they use in the Bible, and it's a great symbol and a great picture for us to be reminded of. Now, concerning the bread, but also concerning the cup, it's to be filled with the liquid. We are told to drink of the cup, right? We are told to partake of the cup, and I don't think the Bible was teaching and telling you and I to eat the cup, right? You ever said that before, and your kids caught you, I'm going to go eat some coffee. You're going to do What? You gonna eat the cup, Dad? No, I'm gonna drink the coffee. See, just because me talking about it tells you I need coffee. Right, we know it's a concern in the cup. It's to be filled with liquid. Right, we're told to drink. What liquid? It symbolizes right there in verse number 25. The testament in my blood. This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And also, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do so the Lord's death. And so, well, what did Jesus say on the cross of Calvary? He shed his blood. Well, what colors? blood. It's red, right? We also know that in Bible times that they would have been drinking of the vine, the fruit of the vine, they would have been drinking grape juice. So in, and so grape, and then, then that brings up, is it grape juice or wine? Are we to have grape juice or are we to have wine? Now, I think the Bible is pretty clear about how a Christian is to flee and not to, to abstain and to stay away from alcohol. It's never preached in a positive light. It's never said, uh, all right, in this instant, because this is a whole ceremony, right, then you can partake of wine. Now, and here's an interesting thing. It goes back to the symbolism. When you drink wine, it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, right? It leaves that, that fermented, that, that rotten taste in your mouth, right? It's a, and you talk to anybody who's, who, who got into drinking, they'll always tell you it's an acquired taste, right? In an instant, you don't, you don't like it the first time. You have to get used to it is what they'll tell you. But it's interesting. It leaves that bitter taste in your mouth. And, and, and we got to remember that Christ took the bitter cup for us, right? He took the bitter cup for us. And you think about grape juice. It is, it's sweet, right? It has that, that sweet aftertaste to it. And so the Bible says, speaks pretty clearly about alcohol and fermented drinks in that sense, how we are not to partake of them. Those things that have gone from good to bad, they have, they have, they have been corrupted. And we also know that Jesus would never let no corrupted thing into his body. And so to, to make the argument that we are to partake of wine, I think it's a very weak argument. I think it's, a, it's probably more tradition than it is anything else. Or trying to excuse a sin in that sense. But pure grape juice, it flows out of the sacrifice of the grape, right? It is, that grape is crushed and that juice comes out. It's a wonderful picture of Christ sacrificing himself in shedding his blood for us. 
Wine has a bitter taste. Juice has a sweet taste. We enjoy the goodness of God. How many are glad he took the bitter cup for you? The bitter cup of sin for you. The garden of Gethsemane looked in the cup and he said, Lord, if there, Father, be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, let thy will be done. And he took the bitter cup for you and I. And so our, we are to partake of the objects. It's the bread in the cup. And, and, nowhere, and nowhere do we see in our Bible, we already mentioned this before, nowhere do we see in our Bible that allows for things like transubstantiation and different denominations called other things, but where they step back and say, because the priest prayed or he put his hand over it, now that bread and that which is within the cup is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, literally. Right, the Catholic Church teaches that before you partake it when the priest prays. In that moment, that bread and that wine become the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. But there's no evidence for that in Scripture. There's no, there's no chapter and verse we can turn to, and there's no principle that we can pull out of that. And tonight, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is that memorial, that remembrance of what Christ did. For, that's why on that table, underneath that thing, it says, this do in remembrance of me. We are remembering what Christ did for us. So we see Jesus, excuse me, we see issues concerning uh, the objects tonight. And so when it comes to our church, we're going to have bread and we're going to have grape juice, right? Because I think it's going to be unleavened bread. So we're reminded how Christ had no sin and he bore our sin on, in his body. He became sin for us. And that grape juice, how it's pure and it's clean and it's precious and it, uh, just like the blood of Jesus Christ as we're reminded of those things. So we see the issues concerning the objects. And notice number two, we see an issue concerning the occurrence, the occurrence of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse number 26. There's a little phrase right here. It says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till you come. Right? But for as often as ye, or as you can say, it, for, as, for when you do it, or as often as you do it, and there's people who debate, and they have, they, they have differences concerning how often should a church have the Lord's Supper? Some say every week, right? Every Sunday you meet together, you should observe the Lord's Supper. It's holy and it's wonderful. And when it's done right, it is a precious reminder of Christ. Christ's sacrifice for our sins on the cross of Calvary. In essence, if it could be done without becoming formalistic and routine, without it becoming just another part of the service, Right, and then, then yes, it, it should be done every week. But how many of you know that when we constantly do things over and over and over and over again, it's just like working your job. It was exciting for the first week, and then it became a job. Right, when it becomes just a formality, it loses that precious value that it holds as a gift to the church and an ordinance of the church. So some say every week, if your church is able to do that every time with a right heart and a right spirit, I'd say go for it. Right, I wouldn't be against you for doing that. I have no verses to, uh, to, 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 to say, oh, the Bible says you can't do it every week. I have no verse that expressly says a church shall not have the Lord's Supper every week. All I have is for often as you eat. Right, well, some say periodically. Not every week, but once a month or a quarter, more than once a year, but not every week. Somewhere in between, right? We have it scheduled and we're going to do it every, every third Sunday. Right, I don't have a verse that says you can't do that, but it, once again, it falls into that same thing. Don't let it become routine. Don't let it become ritual uh, just in and of itself. And then some say every service. This is, this is where I grew up. If you, if you <laughs> spend any time in the Catholic Church, it doesn't matter what the service was, you were going to have communion. Whether it was Sunday morning, 
whether it was a midweek service, whether it was Saturday night, whether it was a funeral, whether it was a wedding, no matter what the service was, you were going to have communion. And that was the, the end of the service. And it didn't matter what it was. If you were at church, you were having communion. And once again, it runs the danger of it just becoming a, a formal thing, a, a, a ritualistic thing. Can I say there was a lot of times growing up that I took the Lord's Supper and I didn't care one thing in the world about it. Or I, I partook of communion. Now, obviously, the Catholic Church's teaching on it, it is wrong. And I don't ever want us to get to the place where well, we just had the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we had it because that's what we're supposed to do. Right? I don't want to get any, any aspect of my Christian life. Yeah, I preached this morning because that's what I was supposed to do. And I shared the gospel with somebody because that's what I was supposed to do. I prayed for them because that's what I was supposed to do. I always want to have that desire in my heart that, man, I get to do this? God entrusted me to preach the gospel. Well, praise the Lord, I'm going to give it everything I have. Right? And so some say every service, and there's a lot of different people, a lot of different opinions there. And, and what do we have to go off? For as often as you do it. Right, for as often as you eat this bread. Now, here's an interesting thought. If we go back to the pattern here, this is partakes during the, the feast of the or Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. You know, the Jews only observed that once a year. They did it for seven days straight. And so you say, well, I'm going to base it straight off the Bible. Then I, you could make the argument that we're going to have it one time a year for seven days straight. I never heard of that before. Right, never, never seen it done that way, but, but what does the Bible say? Here's where we draw our, our schedule for as oft as you eat this bread. As the Lord leads and as the Lord guides, this, this is how the schedule is going to be when we have the Lord's Supper. The Lord's not putting it in my heart. It's like, all right, every third Sunday of the month, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. The Lord hasn't put it in my heart, but there's churches around here that do that, and I'm not going to find them and argue with them. I'm going to say, all right, Lord, bless their time together. Lord, as you've put in their heart to do, Lord, let them do those things. So issues concerning the occurrence of the Lord's Supper, the objects of the Lord's Supper, then finally, tonight, issues concerning the observers. The, observ the observers, those who partake of it. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, are you open, closed, or close? I remember the time I was asked that question, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. My mind went to, when you go to the store, they got that sign that says open and closed. <laughs> but here's the thing it, it, it can be rather explained rather simply tonight uh, as what these differences are now open carries the idea that just anybody and everybody can come and, and partake of the Lord's Supper well preacher if you say no to that that sounds like you're mean well you got to understand what we're actually meaning there in essence we don't worry about their salvation we don't worry about what they believe. We don't worry where they stand. We don't worry about their, their separated life under Christ, their testimony in public. We, don't, we are not concerned with any of that. We're going to put it on the billboard. We're going to put it on Facebook. We're going to make a big thing out of anybody and everybody in our community. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. And tonight, there's not, a, there's not much biblical precedence for that. Why? It was given to the church. It was, it was given to, to believers in that sense. And uh, don't worry if they understand it or not. Don't worry if they don't know what they're doing. It's pretty much let's eat crackers and drink juice and we'll call it a religious experience. Can I say I'm not for that? I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think what it, re what it resembles and what it reminds us of is something too uh, valuable, something too weighty, just to put it in the, the realm of fellowship. Now, Friday night, you ladies are going to have a ladies' meeting at Miss Beebe's house, and y'all are going to bring extra cookies for Pastor. And you're going to leave them somewhere safe. 
<laughs> and y'all are going to fellowship, and y'all are going to eat crackers, and Miss Beebe's a great host. She's going to have something to drink for you. And y'all are going to eat and drink, but y'all ain't going to have the Lord's Supper. Y'all are going to have fellowship. You're going to have a wonderful time. Somebody's going to brag on the Lord, and y'all are going to pray, and you're going to have a wonderful time, but it's not the Lord's Supper. Right? That is, that is something special and significant. And just to say, all right, anybody and everybody, come on. Whether you understand it, whether you're saved or not, that don't matter. Come have a religious experience with it. And so tonight, our, our church isn't going to take the open stance. I'm personally not going to take the open stance. Pretty much, verse 22 reminds us of that. Paul said, if you're just going to eat, stay at home. Look at verse 22. What, have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Paul said, I ain't got nothing good to say about that. So we see the idea of open and how it lacks biblical evidence. Well, then the, so you have open, which is wide open. Anybody and everybody. And then on this side of the spectrum, you have what is called closed communion or the closed Lord's Supper, right? Closed communion. What does that mean? It's when a church observes the Lord's Supper and only those who are active members in good standing are allowed to participate and partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, growing up, I didn't realize, but this was a stance that I took. Growing up Catholic, if you weren't Catholic, you weren't allowed to take communion. Matter of fact, I was allowed to take communion before my mom was. My mom became a Catholic after I, I had my first communion. And so it was interesting to think. So for eight years of my life, my mom was not allowed to go up there and get the bread and drink the wine. And, and for that little bit of time, I had something on her. Mom, I can get the bread and I can get the wine. But it was just a known fact. If you came and visited with us or one of my friends who came to Turtle who wasn't Catholic would sit down and it'd come time for communion. Hey man, just stand right there. Just sit right there. You don't have to get up. You haven't been to First Communion yet. You're not allowed to go up there. Or if you do, go up there like this and the priest will give you a blessing. And that's how it was. And we just understood it to be that way, but not just in the Catholic church, but even when it comes to the Baptist realm, there are Baptist churches that take the stance of closed communion. And here's why. It's not because we don't love the world or they don't love God and they don't love people. They don't want to see people saved. They just, they draw the line there. And here's why is the Bible principles used to support this. For example, right, and I listened to two great men that I highly respect and asked them, where do you stand on this? And one stood at, on, on closed communion and one stood on close communion that we'll get into in the next point. But the man who stood on closed communion, he's a wonderful preacher and a wonderful man. And, and really, I don't fault him for being that. And his, I, his reason why is he said, because as a pastor and as a, as a preacher, he said, I, I would hate to allow somebody to take the, word, the Lord's Supper unworthily as it talks about in verse number 27. And so in order to kind of put a hedge of protection there, he said, our church observes closed communion. It is just for the active church members who are on the roll, who are in good standing. And no doubt there's, there's biblical principles that you could derive this from tonight. That uh, Tonight, I, it's one of those, I have no issue with them believing that way. I'm not going to go find them and call them out and, 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 and say, well, you are completely and totally wrong. And and one of the things they go to, they say, well, the initial Lord's Supper, it was only Jesus and his disciples. Right? It was only Jesus and his, the 12 men that he had called and that were following him. 
But you have to kind of go back and, 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 and think about that in this sense. Those men had left behind their families. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He also said, if, you're not, if you forsake your father and your mother, your brother and your sister, I will give you those things. And Jesus became that head of those men, that father figure per se. So when they meet for the Lord's Supper, they are not there with their family, but they are there with their leader who is Jesus, who's fulfilling that role. We see that tonight, and, and Jesus' disciples were the only ones in the upper, upper room. The goal is to keep unbelievers from taking it. But then you go and you read, Judas partook of it. Judas was there that night. Judas was there when they partook of the Lord's Supper. And we know the Bible clearly says he was not a believer. Matter of fact, Jesus said it would have been better if he had not been born. We, and we know that tonight. And, so, and, and, and no doubt, I don't fault a church or a man saying we practice closed communion. Like I said, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to find them and, and, and say you know all these different things about them. But it was one of those. I I listened to a man who was foreclosed communion, and I so I, I can see the positives there. And then I listened to a man who was for close communion, and as I listened, I said I could see the positives there as well. I I, I could see both. Of, I mean, open. We're not going that way, but I could see closed, and I could see close. Well, preacher, what is close communion? It is that those who are saved, baptized, and of like faith, who are in good standing, have a, have a, a good testimony, can partake of the Lord's Supper, right? And, and the man that I was talking to, he said, Brother Tate, he said, what if a missionary shows up when you're having the Lord's Supper? And, and you know him to be a, uh, have a solid testimony, be a good family, have good standing, serve the Lord faithfully. He said, are you going to push them out and say, listen, man, we're having the Lord's Supper. You're not allowed to be here. And I, and I said, you know, that's, that's a good point. But at the same time, you can't base your principle off an outlier of a possibility. Uh, this, this may take place. And so here I am. I'm saying, Lord, I, I see closed communion. And I, I see uh, the, the way they came to that decision. I said, Lord, and I see closed communion. And, and Lord, both these men I respect highly. They, they've given me great information. Oh, Lord, I, uh, Lord, help me. Lord, give me uh, the guidance and the direction that I need here. And you go look at verse number 28. The Bible said, let a man examine himself. Let a man examine himself. Right, the verse that kind of, that kind of settled it for me. As a pastor, we observe the Lord's Supper and it's not because what if a missionary shows up? But it is as we, as we partake of the Lord's Supper and we uh, put that ordinance into practice, well, preacher, how in the world can we do that and, it, and, and make sure that we are helping people not to take it unworthily? Anytime that we're going to take it here, we're not just going to meet up and say, all right, here's the bread, y'all chew it up, here's the drink, y'all drink it. We're going to have a time of self-examination and a time of explanation of here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, here's what it symbolizes, Here's what it helps us to remember. If you don't understand that, I'm not mad at you. If, if you don't comprehend that, I'm not mad at you. But if you don't fully comprehend it, the best thing you can do is say, not, not right now. Not right now. Right, and allow that time for self-examination. Right, and then once we have that time, am I prepared? Is my heart right? Am I able to take of this worthily? Then we'll pass, we'll, we'll pass out the bread, we'll pass out the, the grape juice, and we'll partake the Lord's Supper. 
And so personally, and, and I think it's uh, a safe place to stand, is this close communion. Those who are saved by the grace of God, those who understand what we are about to do, and it's the same thing, I wouldn't pass it out to a five or six-year-old, here's a snack during church. Right, as, as a mom and dad, it's your responsibility to say, listen, if you don't know what preacher's talking about right now, just sit still. Listen, pay attention. And when you understand it and you grasp it and you have a testimony of salvation, you've been baptized and you are serving and walking with God and you are living as God desires you to live, then that'll be your time, right? And we, we understand that tonight. And so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, we are gonna, every time we do it at our church, as often as we do it, we're going to have a time of explanation. We're going to go back through it again and again and again and again. He said, preacher, it's going to get boring. Calvary ought to never get boring to you. Get boring what Jesus Christ did for you. So when it comes concerning observers, you've got open, closed, or close. And tonight we're going to hold the stance of close. Those who are close to the Lord is where that, that comes from. Those who are saved by the grace of God, who have a like-minded faith, who, who believe like we do and are understanding what they're doing. I have no issue with you partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so with that being said tonight, we've, we're kind of looking at the calendar of when to have the Lord's Supper. We've got a lot going on in the next few weeks. But after Christmas, and we're looking at the, cal and looking at the calendar, December 31st is the last Sunday of 2023. And so that evening service, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. I think it'd be a wonderful way to end the year and begin the next one. It'd be wonderful to end the year thinking about what Jesus did for us. And I think it'd be good to start the next year thinking about what Jesus did for us.